Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I was genuinely excited about this Kids Jam reunion. Lester Sir Pace, Jazzy Red, Marcus Love, Wicked Cricket, Terry T. The Astros no hit the Yankees. And the Astros are still the man. Do you think it's the right decision to keep Deshaun out for the entire year? As long as they can bang on them drums and have stuff wired to their bodies, they'll be fine. As long as you don't mess with their money, they're fine. To some degree, they all dirty when you get is that level (laughs) but you can't trust him you have to have grown folks conversations you would have to be a greeter at the Toyota Center you would have to be back there making hot dogs or something you're making 3.3 million dollars a game we believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches and as for our part we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region let it go out there today baby three Two, one, and once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, mama, there goes that man. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have joined us for another edition. And shout out if you are joining us for the very first time. Welcome aboard. We hope to become a part of your podcast menu, the veritable cornucopia of podcasts you ingest week in, week out. Shouts out to you guys. Also, shouts out to everybody who listens each and every episode. Also, comments, likes, interacts on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page on Facebook. And finally, a shout out to all of the people who cried at Brian's song. Tell you a little bit more about that in just a second. But welcome aboard. And I want to tell you right off the bat that if you're joining us and you want to be more interactive and be a part of our community, you can. First and foremost, you can do that by calling the sports line. We set up a 24 hour a day sports line for you guys. You can call with questions, comments, requests, suggestions, any of those things. Your take, your rebuttals to some of the takes you hear on the program. That's 832 941 6614. That's 832. 832- 9416614 in addition to that you can join the sports talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook and like the fan page all of those ways ways you can be interactive and be a part of what we do here each and every episode i will have an announcement i think next episode about a remote at least the first remote Sort of a, a dry run, a pilot remote for the podcast. I'll tell you about that probably next episode. So that's coming up really, really soon. And we're going to do that this summer. And we look forward to you coming out and being a part of that. Now, this episode, we have a great episode for you. We have from our special teams unit, Prairie View AM head coach Byron Smith, head basketball coach. He's going to join us to talk some free agency, some NBA stuff. Also, uh, touch a little bit on some swag stuff as well. In addition to that, King T, Terrence Harris from the Defender Network, he's back on board and he always has something controversial to say. He shakes things up. That's coming up. In addition to that, we have some headlines and we may do a little bit of We the People. And of course, you know, we have. Award for the big dummy of the episode. So a lot to get into. But before I get into headlines, talked about Brian's song, right? 
And I bring Brian's song up because yesterday there was the passing of actor James Caan. You may know him as Sonny Corleone from The Godfather or from Rollerball or from Elf or a number of movies. But again, a longtime actor, 82 years old, he passed away. And it brought to mind memories of Brian's song, the movie. Now, we took quotes from Brian's song at the very beginning. The first time we ever did a sports talk show, I think either it was on the radio. Yeah, it had to be on the radio. And I did an imitation, my Billy D. Williams imitation of him portraying Gail Sayers in the movie Brian's song. And I'll spare you the imitation. But if you, you missed it, it was great. It was dead on. But nonetheless, that was the second ever movie I cried to. So shouts out to anybody else who cried on, on that movie. I think there are two or three movies that a lot of people may tear up on. And, and let's see if I got this one right. So I'm going to say Old Yeller for the dog lovers. I'm going to say Brian's song for the football folks. And I'm going to say Cooley High. Man, Cooley High was tough. When Coach East, man, I don't want to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now, you're about 50 years too late. But, yeah, Cooley High is another one. I know you guys can hit me up on that. What's another movie that you cried on? So the first movie, the first movie I ever cried on was a movie, a television movie, not a very good television movie about a 50s rock group called Jan and Dean. And what happened is Jan or Dean, I don't remember which one, suffered a head injury and was intellectually reduced. And he was uh, only a fraction of himself intellectually. And something about him being portrayed as brain damaged sort of made me tear up. In addition to that Brian song, when that happened, man, when Brian Piccolo, because, hey, Gail said, hey, he wants you to love Brian Piccolo like he loved Brian Piccolo. So, yeah, that was a good movie. But uh, rest in peace, James Conn. Uh, uh, hey, Sonny, and here's the thing about Godfather. If you want, a lot of people want to act like they're Michael, but really they're Sonny. I think I'm more Sonny. Now, there are a few Fredos out there, and a lot of people think that they're Tom. But I, 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 was, uh, I have to say, especially early on in my life, I was more like Sonny. So that's a Godfather reference. So with that, let's get started. Let's talk some sports. Let's get into some headlines. In headlines, well, there are a few things I want to touch on because we'll talk a lot about the NBA and other things with Terrence Harris and Byron Smith. But I want to get into a couple of things. Let's start with the Astros. Winners of nine of their last ten, they continue to roll, and now they have a six-man rotation as Jake Odorizzi returns to the lineup as a starter. That allows guys like Justin Verlander to get a little extra rest coming off of Tommy John surgery, older, 39. And he's rolling in the mix for the Cy Young. He gets that extra day of rest with Orderizzi coming back from the IL and starting. Although, <laughs> gave up five runs in the first, what, three innings? So not a not a great start, uh, a return against the, the Royals. But again, the team is rolling. And Jordan Alvarez is a super-duper star. They had back-to-back walk-off games, one with Jeremy Pena, one with Jordan Alvarez. I mean, these dudes are just doing work. It's incredible to watch, and I hope you are getting excited about the Astros because, of course, you're heading into the All-Star break. Now, here's one thing that came up, and you can give me your thoughts on this one. Does Jordan Alvarez enter the home run derby? They asked him to. I say he shouldn't do it. 
We're playing for championships, man. Not not for titles in the Midsummer's Classic. I don't need a home run title. We need some World Series run. And and I don't know if this still holds true. But for a long time, guys that participated in the home run derby would slow down dramatically with their home run totals in the second half. Now let's see if it's him versus Aaron Judge versus maybe Shohei Otani or maybe uh, who else can we think of in the mix? Uh, Mike Trout few guys like that that are in the mix if everybody's in he can be in but if it's just some guys some i mean i every I mean, anybody that would enter would be a power hitter but i want judge and if you want to do that judge alvarez trout otani whoever he can you name a, a couple other big names let's get those guys out there then he can join other than that if he's the biggest name or one of the biggest names if if aaron judge is not in it then no so this all predicated on if Aaron Judge enters the home run derby. But other than that, they continue to roll nine and one in their last ten, and uh, life is good. And so uh, we'll have to keep an eye out on that as we head towards the All Star break. The other thing, Brittany Griner pled guilty in a Russian courtroom to possession. She said that she had the hashish oil. My understanding is, and you're talking about sort of the global community here and and how uh, countries interact with one another and the justice systems in different countries. So my understanding is they wanted her to go, well, first of all, she didn't have a chance. They have like a 99% conviction rate in Russia. But if she falls on the sword, admits it that she did it, which obviously she had it on her, then the next step is she'll get sentenced. And then at that point, the Justice Department and the United States government can negotiate a prisoner swap. But she was going to have to look bad. Again, she was a propaganda piece for Vladimir Putin. And again, I know there have been a lot of rallies and a lot of noise made. And that's a good thing. WNBA has done a tremendous job rallying for her. My thing with that was it was not going to move Putin because essentially we're in a <laughs> almost like a proxy war against the Russians in Ukraine as we fund, send billions of dollars in military aid uh, to the Ukraine to fight Putin. So what does he give a damn about people protesting? He he doesn't have any pressure like that. He's not a humane person, especially the way that army is conducting themselves and bombing uh, civilian targets and all that stuff. So let's hope that with her pleading guilty and they're dragging this thing out, but maybe this is consistent with the Russian justice system. I, I don't know, but whatever it is, let's hope that, the sentencing happens, and now they can start to negotiate to get her home. And uh, let's just hope, you know, we want her home. And so I think they've done a, a masterful job of keeping her name in the news and not forgotten about. And uh, that's a good thing. So let's hope that Brittany Griner gets home soon. Now let me talk about something that I rarely ever talk about, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast, men's tennis. Let me tell you something. One of my favorite events of all time happened, what what did they say, 42 years ago, something like that? Whatever, I think 42 years ago, it was Bjorn Borg versus John McEnroe at Wimbledon. Now, as a little kid, young kid, I loved, I, I mean, I like tennis okay, but it was something about Wimbledon. It was the strawberries and cream and the green grass and just, just the pageantry of Wimbledon. And it's always been an event I look out. I mean, even now, it's my favorite major. I mean, that's the only one I really even care about. I mean, if you want to get down to it, I don't care about the clay of the French. I certainly don't care about the Australian Open. I do like the rowdiness and the late night matches at the U.S. Open. 
But other than that, we saw Wimbledon, and we were set for a huge matchup between a guy who is McEnroe-like in Nick Kyrgios, who is a, a tremendous talent, but he is a a-hole of the first degree. He's a trip. And he does some really wild stuff, serving underhand. He'll he'll get in the judge's ass behind this, that, or the other. He's something else, man. And he's quite the character. And his talent has not produced the sort of results you would anticipate. He was set to take on Rafael Nadal in the Wimbledon men's semifinal. But Nadal had to drop out because of a muscle tear, abdominal muscle tear. And so he was out. So Kyrgios advances to the finals. He will take on Novak Djokovic, and Djokovic should dominate him. But it should be fun because if Kyrgios is starting to lose, you may see some explosive antics. So even if you're not, even if you're one of those people who turn into, tune in to car races to see the crashes, you might want to do that here. You may see a crash here <laughs> with Kyrgios in the men's final. That's take, taking place on Sunday. But I had to send a shout-out to Wimbledon. So a lot to get into. Let's get straight into some of our conversations. Going to take a brief time out, come back on the other side with head coach for the Prairie View and and Panthers, Byron Smith, and our conversation with Terrence Harris, a Lamont Award, a whole bunch of stuff. We got a lot of stuff coming up. Stay tuned. This is Sports Talk with Devin Wade Podcast. Anyway, you get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages six weeks to five years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. Welcome back to Sports Talk. To reach Devin Wade with a question or comment, follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Be a part of the group on Facebook by joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or liking the page. Welcome back, and I am going to get into a little bit of my take on college football in just a little bit, but I first want to get into the first conversation we have. We have two conversations from the special teams unit, head basketball coach for the Purdue NM Panthers, Byron Smith, and we're going to talk some NBA stuff with him, and then later on I'll go out and talk to Terrence Harris about Baker Mayfield, the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson, and all of that good stuff. So with that, let's keep it rolling. Back again from our special teams unit, a friend of the show, a head coach of Purdue NM Basketball, Byron Smith. How are you this afternoon? Doing well, Devin. Yourself? Great, great. So much has been going on in basketball. I thought, okay, there would be a respite, but the NBA has been able to steal headlines from the NFL, Major League Baseball, and all other sports during their offseason over the last four or five years. What have you noticed about the attention the NBA gets almost year-round? Uh, I just think it's the greatest, obviously, team sport that we have in, in the world, really. And obviously, with all the attention that it gets, even right after the finals, you know, you go right into the draft. And then after the draft, you got free agency, the summer league. 
So it's just kind of it's become a 12 month year sport. It's not just eight or nine months that you know the regular season brings about, but uh, always things going on there. I just think it's a great team sport. People pay it an enormous amount of attention to it. Well deserved, obviously, because it's a great product. But yeah, I, I just think it gets a lot of attention because it's continuing to grow and glow. And I don't I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. And I enjoy it. I mean, I, I like the fact that we have basketball. Seven days a week, 24-7, 365 days out of the year. So I, I enjoy that. I thought we would have sort of a, a lull of an offseason. It didn't seem right. like a lot of major parts. I mean, obviously Kyrie was the linchpin, and I think a lot of people didn't think he would leave $36 million on the table. Nobody really saw Durant wanting out, and you thought, okay, on the other coast, LeBron is settled. He's not going anywhere this year. So you thought maybe it's a quiet offseason, but lo and behold, Kyrie, he opts in, and Durant opts out, uh, essentially requesting a trade. What do you think about that whole debacle in Brooklyn? I think Durant is, you know, anything that Durant does as it relates to Brooklyn is directly tied into Kyrie, because I don't think that Kevin Durant ever would have been in Brooklyn had it not been for the relationship with Kyrie Irving. I thought, I mean, obviously they were a good a good organization, but I just thought it was a more attractive places for Kevin Durant to go. The Knicks, obviously, uh, or maybe even back, you know, to the home to the Wizards. You never go wrong. And I think with LeBron James going back to Cleveland from Miami, I think he made that a fashionable thing to do. So I, I thought the Knicks is where Durant would have ended up, or like I say, or Washington, his home team. The fact that he ended up in Brooklyn, like I say, was his relationship with uh, with Kyrie Irving. But it doesn't surprise me, you know, one bit. You know, these guys, the star players, pretty much dictate how things are going to go. And uh, in some cases, maybe that's good because I think it does need to be more of a balance. You know, I don't think that ownership should, should, should call all the shots. I think it's a player's league, and I do think that they should be able to, um, you know, navigate, you know, some of the movement. But, you know, I just thought that was a, a really good setup and a good situation there in Brooklyn with, you know, with, with the team that they put together and the pieces that they had around those two guys. And I thought bringing in Ben Simmons, you know, with the after Harden, you know, left, I, I thought that, you know, they put together at least a, a championship contending team for the next two to three years or maybe three to five years. But it, again, it, it didn't it didn't surprise me um, when you just kind of started hearing some of the rumblings about Kyrie and some of the. Um, I won't say demands, but some of the Nets brass put their foot down and kind of made some comments, uh, which I thought was, was justifiable that, you know, the best availability that any, any of us have is availability and that they moving forward. They want to committed guys that were going to show up to work and play. So you know, I think they were kind of sending some sending some subtle hints that they were kind of going to, you know, take the bull by the horns and kind of, you know, start running, running the organization again. Because I think for a few years that they allowed Kyrie and, and KD to kind of dictate what they wanted in terms of personnel, coaches. Uh, things of that nature. So it, it answer your question, and, and, and that's a long-winded version, uh, Devin. But I, I, I felt that um, that that this would happen. I, I didn't foresee either of those gentlemen being in a Nets uniform this upcoming year. How they go about moving those guys on, I think that's really the issue that they're dealing with right now, the problem. But I, I don't think that they'll be back. And I do think the the Nets are going to go in a new direction and uh, try to build their team through trades and. Obviously, I think they've done well in the draft, uh, but I, I think the players that they will uh, uh, be able to acquire from the Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie, I think it's going to be enormous. And I, I think it'll help them stay afloat. I don't think they'll be a championship contending team, but I definitely think they'll stay afloat and be able to move forward in a positive way with their organization, which is what we want. For all, for, I think everybody wants that anyway. So, Well, let me ask you this. When you talk about players having more control, in a way, it 
it feels to me like a net negative. Now you've had a few examples of, of the creation of super teams where you you know Miami had their little run, but again, mm-hmm. you, you look at some of the things these players do, whether it's Anthony Davis and what he did in New Orleans, whether mm-hmm. it's Kawhi Lennon, what he did to both uh, San Antonio and Toronto. You look at Kyrie. Mm-hmm. What what's a good balance with that situation? Because these guys. And Kyrie, I think, is really has really abused his his status as a, a guy with power in this league. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I you know a, a bit of selfishness. Obviously, I, I think that that sticks out like a sore thumb. You know, and trying to be as respectful as I can, but I, I think you are starting to see you know the the selfish part you know of these guys when you you get the the length of the length of the contracts that you get, the amount of money that they're getting. You can kind of dictate the type of the way you want to be coached and the pieces that you want to play with, the type of players you want surrounded you. And being a major endorsement market, man, it's like having your cake and eating it too. I was really surprised. I mean, I I knew Kyrie a little bit from my time at Texas A&M. We were one of the schools when I coached there that had one of our coaches on our staff had a relationship with his dad. And so we were kind of recruiting him hard. And to be honest with you, Devin, it came down to Duke and Texas A&M. A lot of people don't know that, but those were the two final schools to get Kyrie. So I kind of was around him a little bit on an unofficial visit, but I, I could tell even then, this is back in 2008, he was a little bit of a different guy. Uh, I would not have said that, that he was selfish. You know, seemed to be pretty quiet, pretty humble, but it just seems like that that's just kind of the direction that, that it's going, that, um, you know, a lot of these players, they just, they, they want to call all the shots. And I don't agree with that because again, when we're, you know, no matter how much money that, you know, that these guys are making, they're still their, their employees. They're not the highest paid person in the building. The owner is, it's his brand. It's, it's his program. It's his organization. And, you know, I think that you, I think a little bit more respectful. So, but to answer the question, what's a, a good balance? Um, I, I think with the collective bargaining agreement, I think it has been fair game, to be honest. I think it's, it's a, it's a closer to being a more of an even you know, I won't say even, but, you know, within, you know, within a small park uh, of a good number, a, a pretty good share of the revenue split, you know, obviously the, you know, free agency, you know, how it comes about, you can be able to get a, a enormous amount of money with certain goals that you attain uh, in terms of being all NBA, things of that nature, first team all NBA, you know, you can really capitalize and make a lot of money from the, the organization that you're with. Obviously, free agent open, free agency opens the door for you to be able to move and to be able to get more money, maybe not as much from another team as you can from the team that you're with. But I do think that, and obviously with the pension plan and everything that's in good place, well, I mean, the healthcare, I mean, everything is set up. Uh, so I, I, I'm not going to say it's even, but I think that it's 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 a, that's a really nice balance for what the players are getting. They're well taken care of. So I don't think there should be many, many complaints. I just think with the super teams, Obviously, I think that kind of, you know, just taking the life of its own and everybody feels like that's what you have to do to be able to uh, have a chance to compete for a championship. I think Golden State really kind of opened a lot of eyes with how they pretty much they really made really one, in my opinion, one and one to two major additions that really kind of got them uh, over the hump. But they really didn't make a lot in terms of a super team. They brought in Wiggins. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Obviously, Jordan Poole has stepped up and emerged as a as a player to be reckoned with uh, for years to come. But other than uh, other than those two guys, I mean, they pretty much kept the same team intact. So you can win, you know, with, uh, you know, with good chemistry and uh, synergy and just working together and believing in one another and familiarity. But I, I do really think at this point in time that the players are getting pretty much everything that they want. So when you see these types of situations, I just think it's kind of, 
it's kind of pointing in the direction of just being selfish. And, and, and that's kind of what I'm going to go with with this Brooklyn Nets situation for sure. Well, you know, when you look at the situation, a lot of these guys are bad GMs. Great players, <laughs> but bad GMs. I think Harden, right. Harden bringing in Westbrook and Chris right. Paul, bad GMing. Right. Uh, right. You look at what right. the Lakers are, are enduring now. A lot of, I mean, you could say they won the championship in the bubble, but a lot of right. bad GMing because this organization is going to be in trouble for a minute unless they move a major part. Uh, but, you know, by and large, these guys seem to be bad GMs. Is it because they want to play with friends and they're not able to look yeah. at it like like what's best for the chemistry of a team? Mm-hmm. I think you're 100% correct. Yeah, I, I, these guys, obviously, with – Everybody kind of gathering out in L.A. now. I mean, that's just kind of the place. Everybody's working out out in L.A., working on things that, you know, were not always basketball related, you know, endorsements, movies, music. I mean, everyone's just kind of going in that direction. So those guys are spending a lot of time in the gym working out the same trainers, which, you know, I mean, that's not uh, I don't think that's really anything super intense that doesn't require strategy or really working together or any type of synergy, synergy chemistry when you're just having an individual workout you know, with a few guys. And there's a lot of pickup basketball out there. So those guys are pretty much dictating how things are going. They're going at their own pace. They're going when they want to go, how they want to go. And so I, I think that that's where a lot of these ideas are coming from, spending time in the summertime. And a lot of these guys have the same representation, you know, agents and things of that nature. And obviously, that's another car that they, that they play. They spend a lot of time around each other. So, but I, I don't think that they're looking at you know some of the the, the, the key elements, just style of play. I mean, how how you play. I mean, I, no no one's playing any defense in the summertime. I think that's another thing. It's all offense. It's all the spectacular stuff, shooting threes and crossing over, getting dunks and things like that. But you you and I both know that that's not what it all boils down to. But contending for a championship, everyone's got to be on the same page. No egos can be involved. Everyone having a oneness. Defense obviously prevails all the time. And I just think that a lot of the elements that they should be looking at in terms of having success at the highest level, they're making those determinations of wanting to play with each other off of situations, like I say, that are laid back, very cool, very comfortable, which is which is summertime uh, involvement. So, yeah, I, I think there's several factors as to why they want to play together. But really outside of LeBron in that short time in Miami with he, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, this super team deal really hasn't worked out to anyone's advantage. And it just seems like every every year they're putting it together. Uh, every few years they're putting it together, um, it's not paying off the way that I think that, that these guys think that it's going to. So let's talk a little bit about some of the free agent moves and the trades and and big player movement in the NBA to this point. The one that's the most intriguing is the to me. I mean, there are a few others, but uh, Rudy Gobert going to Minnesota, and they give up an awful lot to get him. What what will he do for Minnesota and Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards? I mean, what does that do for that team in the pecking order in the Western Conference? I was I was I was shocked. Like you said, they gave up so much, really. But I I think it was to appease the franchise player, Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, no one wants to play the five spot anymore. It's kind of like a you know, it's dormant position now. Everybody wants to you know be a stretch four and be able to. The uh, only time they want to be around the rim is in transition when they're going for a dunk. You know, everybody wants to play out on the perimeter. And Carl Anthony Towns, yeah, he definitely that's what he wants to do. More power to him. Uh, I think they're going to go to, uh, you know, a situation where Anthony Edwards is going to be the, you know, the the mainstay here calling Anthony Towns. And I think Rudy Gobert uh, will allow those guys to be able to cheat uh, on defense or not play as much defense, to be honest with you, <laughs> because he's a he's the ultimate rim protector. 
He's the best in the NBA at that shot blocking. Um, so I, I think, you know, that he's an anchor and I think he's going to allow them to be, be able to play a certain way, take a lot more risk, gamble a lot more because they want to get out and they want to run. They want to be like the Grizzlies pretty much. They want to get out and run and be an exciting team and shoot transition threes, get to the rim for alley, lob dunks and things of that nature. And I think Rudy Gobert is smart enough. He's probably one of the smartest basketball players in the world because at, at seven foot two, seven foot three. He doesn't have a problem wanting to play that position. And they're paying him an enormous amount of money. He's going to be in the NBA for another 12 to 13 years. And and I think he's comfortable in his own skin at that position. He's never out trying to shoot three-point shots and things like that. So I think he's actually a smart guy. And I think he's going to be the one that's going to benefit the most because I think he's going to get an, an enormous more money, enormous contract because he's still relatively young. And he'll be able to play, you know, for a lot of years at that position because I don't think it's going to be a lot of wear and tear on his body. De- defensive players don't usually wear out. You know, they just they just keep, you know, showing up and uh, and doing their job. So uh, but I was shocked that they gave up so much uh, to be able to make the make make the trade. But I don't know, like I said, maybe maybe there's good GM in, <laughs> in Minnesota. <laughs> in Minnesota than it is in some of these other places that uh, that don't seem to be, you know, making making the right moves. But you know, I'm sure they studied it. Devin and they felt like this was the best but I, I really think it was a heavy lean towards appeasing Carl Anthony Towns because obviously once they made that and they gave him a, a max deal and I think obviously Anthony Edwards is next I think the thing that's interesting I was shocked that it didn't move D'Angelo Russell because I think Anthony Edwards is going to be become a LeBron James type of a guy in terms of how much he commands the ball and has the ball and bringing the ball up because they do want the ball in his hands so that was really shocked that he wasn't a part of that trade to go to uh, Utah, and and, I, and I'm not so sure that uh, they're they're done making moves. It would shock if they didn't move him as well. Let me ask you about another move in the Eastern Conference with uh, Dejounte Murray going to Atlanta to team up uh, with Trey Young. What do you mm-hmm. think of that move? Again, they give up a lot. I mean, they do and they don't. They give up first round picks, but if you are successful, those those picks come at the end of first round. So I mean, what what do you think of those two pairing with one another? I think it's going to be dynamic. Um, I don't know if it puts him in championship, you know, championship lane or path. I definitely think it's going to be fun. They win a lot of games. I think they'll be a perennial playoff team every year. But I don't know if they've got all the pieces to be able to make the next step like the Celtics did. I think really, in my honest opinion, that, you know, Popovich has kind of kind of seen the light a little bit. And I think he, he's seen the end somewhere. I don't know if it's one more year within the next couple of years. But I do think that uh, just by his demeanor, how he, how you see him on the sideline, it doesn't seem like he's really pushed to win a lot. I mean, obviously you'd want to, but I don't think he's really stressed about it. I mean, his job's never in jeopardy. I think he'll move right into the front office or some type of an ambassador once he steps away from the sideline. So I, I think that this got something to do with Pop, how long he's going to be around. He said he didn't want someone he has a tremendous amount of respect. I think they love DeJounte Murray. Everything I've heard about him, he's a great young man, and they don't really want him to be part of a rebuild. Some people seem to think they're kind of tanking for, you know, the, the number one pick in the draft next year, which is Victor Wambanyama, w- w- I think is his name, French kid that everybody's renting and raving over. will be the next, I guess, great international player coming to the NBA, uh, like Luka Doncic, from what I'm hearing. And I, I think that's something that some people are talking about. But yeah, I, I think Trey Young and and uh, anyone that plays with Trey Young has got a chance to 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 have great success. And uh, Dejounte Murray is a phenomenal player, and I think that they're definitely going to sell a lot more tickets in Atlanta with the addition of him. And I, I wish him all the best moving forward, for sure. 
Before we let you get out of here, I want to ask you about the Houston Rockets draft and their their vision, and how do you think that's proceeding? Obviously, we, we not them, we as a city, <laughs> have fallen off of the basketball map with the departure of Harden and, and, mm-hmm. and Westbrook. And, and so right. uh, the youth movement has been in, in, in effect for a couple of years now. How do you like mm-hmm. the draft and the direction the team is going? I, I like the two first round picks that I, I think I thought and think still presently that Jabari Smith was the best player in the draft, most NBA ready guy. And a lot of people talk about Van Caro uh, going to Orlando, and obviously he's going to have a, a, a good career. Obviously, and I think Chet Holmgren, you know, I think they want him to be successful, and I think he'll do well. But I I felt from a, a NBA ready type mentality, body, skill set, I thought Jabari Smith was the, by far the best you know, NBA rating the best player coming in. So I think that was a great get. I think they're fortunate that he slipped to, to if you can use the term slipped, to the third pick. Uh, I, I thought that was phenomenal. Tari Eason, the gentleman that was from LSU, they got, I think, the 16th pick. I love him. I mean, he's a utility guy. He's a long defender, slasher, get out of transition, plays hard, plays the right way, great attitude from what I've read and things like that. And I, I watched him a little bit at Cincinnati, which I felt, is, you know, when he first was there, he wasn't used the right way. Uh, and then obviously goes to LSU, and then, you know, he's a first-round draft pick. So I think they did really well. I think they had another first-round pick, too, maybe, or second round. So I I, uh, I know they've, they've done – they did really well by the draft with those first two for sure. I think if they can just get you know, Kevin Porter, you know, to kind of settle down and mature a little bit and, and be, be the player, that consistent player they think that they know that he can be, I think that would bode well for them. You know, but obviously, like you say, they've fallen off a lot. Um, but I do think that – uh, they've got some good pieces in place, and I think they'll be better. I don't know if they'll be uh, ready to contend for a playoff spot, you know, here in the next year or so. But I think if they can keep the team together, and maybe add a veteran or two, I think the Gordon situation is going to be key. If they can, uh, they move him and maybe you know bring in someone that's of equal value. Um, I, I think that's going to be key too. So, and if they, and I think it's, there's no pressure. You know, if you get all the veterans gone. Uh, they can just focus, and if, I just hope and pray that they'll give Coach Silas an opportunity to see it through, and not when he kind of gets it going and, and and gets it going in a better direction, then they come in and make a coaching change, uh, which you know that's what the NBA has been known to do in yeah. some, some high-profile situations. I just hope that because he seems like he's a, a wonderful person. I know he's a really good basketball coach. A tremendous amount of respect for his dad, Paul Silas, when he played and and we coached. So I'm rooting for him. You know, I'm not a Big time Rockets guy, but obviously being a, living here and being our hometown team, I'd, I'd like to see them kind of get it going uh, and, and get back on track a little bit. Final question, and it's about the the swag, and obviously uh, Dion on, on the football side has really been pushing hard to get more guys uh, exposure and opportunities and get them drafted. On the basketball mm-hmm. side, we saw the HBCU Classic and basketball, and I thought that was a great event. Uh, what uh-huh. can be done to get more guys from the SWAC, uh, more opportunities uh, to play in the NBA? I, I just think to continue doing what we're doing, coaching hard, coaching the right way. Um, obviously, when you come up against the quote-unquote big boys, make sure your team's prepared. You know, really coach your guys the right way. You know, invest a lot of time in the skill work with them. You're not just make it all about team stuff. Obviously, that's important, but you got to work with them on the skill level so they get an opportunity to be in front of NBA people and workouts or whatever the case may be, combines. Uh, a lot of the terminology, a lot of the things that they're doing in today's game, uh, our, our guys will be up to date, up to speed on that and how to be able to do that. Uh, I do think that uh, the more we do well, we can get mainstream media 
to stop talking about these levels so much, low major or mid major, high major. I mean, I always say this, Devin, that the, from my time in the SWAC and being in the Big 12, being a Conference USA as a coach, uh, you know, I, I think the levels are determined by how well you think and process information. The physical side of it, we're very close to a lot of these power, you know, entities, power five schools and mid majors, so forth and so on. But I, again, well, I just but think I think that, when they talk about the when they talk about mid level and and you know power five, I mean I think primarily talking money because <laughs> yeah, right. that that you know I don't know that they that it always I mean but I think you're exactly right in that going into like the tournament, the mainstream media doesn't do a good enough job of explaining right. that, that there can be schools that come up, including U of H didn't get the love the, over the last couple of years that the other power five conferences got and so yeah i mean i agree with you but i think a lot of it is everything is about money and they don't look at talent levels i mean in my opinion right no no that's true and 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 you know but just you know some of the things that you kind of hear and and, in in this in the recruiting game you know it's just you 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 just hear guys say certain things you know and and how they talk but no it it is it, it is financially driven uh, a lot of the narratives were created because of, you know, the financial involvement and, and things of that nature. So I agree with you as well, 100 percent. I just think that, you know, people can just look at the game itself, you know, because like I always say, in, in, in every arena in the country, the, the, the course is 94 by 52 and the baskets are 10 feet and the balls are round. So it's basketball. It's a game. Uh, I just think sometimes people, they kind of overanalyze it and they make it. Uh, the game to be so difficult to be able to play. I think a lot of that is ego driven, but anyway, I, I, I think that, you know, we don't necessarily have a uh, quote unquote Dion on the basketball side. Not sure that we actually need that, but, but that, that that's another story. Um, but I think if we just continue to coach hard, do the right thing, prepare our guys, teach them, uh, share our experiences. Cause all of us have, for the most part have been at different levels. Majority of coaches in the swag have been at different levels to be able to share that. I think that's going to and just continue to talk about our kids as much as we possibly can. And and I, I think that will, um, you know, because I do think that it's kind of shifting a little bit with the, the HBCU All-Star game. Like, I agree with you. I thought it was a phenomenal event. I was there. They've got an HBCU combine that's out in at the Summer League right now that's getting ready to get started. So I do think that we're kind of getting a little bit, uh, getting a seat at the table a little bit. And I do think it's going to continue to grow, but it's incumbent upon us as coaches to make to prepare our kids the best that we can, to use our resources, our contacts, the agents that we know, the front office people that we may have had relationships with from years past, to make these guys aware of some of the standout players that we have in our program. And I think collectively, if we can do all these things, with God's grace and blessings and uh, His mercy, I, I think our kids are going to get a little bit more of an opportunity moving forward, uh, as far as the NBA is concerned. Well, Coach, I certainly appreciate your time. I anticipated oh, we would visit with you later in the summer, but the NBA continues to dominate in the headlines, and, of course, we want an expert opinion, and that's why we defer to you. So we certainly appreciate you joining us again. Devin, my pleasure. Anytime, man. I love, love, love visiting with you, and I love what you're doing. So keep up the good work, okay? Hey, thanks a lot, Coach. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. 
CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. is on SoundCloud and on Instagram, DJ Anarchy. And if you catch him around the city of Houston, hit us up on the sports line and tell us about that vibe because I know it's a thing. So, again, that's our guy. So, show him some love. If you go out to one of his events, let him know, hey, we hear you every episode of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. But if you have music you want heard, if you're a DJ, you want a portion of your mix or an extended portion of your mix played on the podcast, just email us, music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. We play music from all over the place, all genres. It doesn't matter. From Zydeco to gospel to jazz to Latin jazz, Whatever. You send it to us, we'll play a snippet at the halfway point and an extended portion of a mix. So if you know you're an artist, uh, you are an artist, you're starting to want to get your word, the word out there, get your music out there to a broader audience, just uh, hit us up. So you definitely want to check that out, musicwadeswordproductions.com. So we're going to get into our conversation with Terrence Harris, and also we're going to get into the Lamont Award. But a couple of things I want to touch on first. There were a couple of historic signings or hirings in the world of sports in the four major sports in America. Let's start with the Las Vegas Raiders as Sandra Douglas Morgan becomes the first African-American woman to be named team president. So she'll be the team president for the Las Vegas Raiders. And boy, that again is the, uh, the indication that the Raiders have always broken ground when it comes to sort of integrating. They had the first Hispanic coach in Tom Flores, the first African-American coach, Art Shell. I mean, so they've done a lot to break barriers. And this is the first African-American team president, Sandra Moore, Douglas Morgan. She was the head of the Nevada Gaming commission and if you know anything about vegas or nevada that position holds a lot of 
power as they govern all the gambling in the state of Nevada. But she becomes the team president. So good luck to her. And boy, um, as much as I don't like the Raiders, you may have to start rooting for the Raiders a little bit after this hire. But also in the NHL, the National Hockey League, we've seen the NHL sort of become more integrated. The complexion of the league has changed. Now they have their very first African-American general manager, Mike Greer. He was named in that position for the San Jose Sharks, and he is blazing a new trail alongside his brother. His brother is actually the general manager for the Miami Dolphins. We talk about brothers. We talk about brothers that made it to the NFL, the NBA, the major leagues. Well, how about having two sons or two brothers in a family that are both general managers in the four major sports of uh, America? I mean, when you think about that, a NFL GM and an NHL GM. So that is record-breaking, and that's big, big news. And also, like I said, in the NFL, NFL breaking new barriers with leadership. And we need more of those sorts of things, and I'm sure we'll see it trending in that direction as more diversity has is being created. So also I want to talk about college football and I will touch on this with Terrence Harris in just a second, but the departure of UCLA and USC from the PAC 12, just another demoralizing blow for any kind of traditionalist when it comes to, to college sports. Let me explain something to you. College sports became unique and special because it was about regional rivalries. You win your region. You, you go to the bowl game for your region, your conference. You beat your neighbor, and you beat folks from around. I'm from Texas, so the Southwest Conference was eight teams from Texas and one from Arkansas. And so it was all about, hey, I mean, you see these people all over the place, alums from all of those institutions everywhere, in the workplace, at the grocery store, everywhere. So those rivalries are intense. Same thing with the, the Big Eight. And then the, the, the Pac-10 before it became the, back tw- the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. But we've seen all of these things erode over the last 20, 25 years. And it's devastating because it's, uh, it's so blatantly about money. And the NCAA is still getting off and not compensating the players. Because, of course, they allow them to have NIL deals, name, image, likeness deals. But they're not paying them. They're dependent on our sponsors and people outside of the institutions hiring these guys or compensating these guys for the name, image, and likeness. So, again, while everything is just so money, 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 it takes away from what made college football special. And it makes it even worse. I wish they would, if they're going to do this, go to only football-only conferences and let every sport. Because, again, when you think about rivalries in football, you travel once a week. But what about basketball? What about baseball? So if you're a UCLA, you have to go play Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, on the road every week. I mean, it's just, it's not a good move. And the greed involved is incredible. But the money is also hard to ignore. On top of all that, hard to ignore the kind of money that they're going to get from television deals as a result of consolidating these conferences. But they really seem to want to lock the others out. They want to consolidate, and then the mid-majors or the smaller major schools, they will be locked out. So we saw this, I mean, first of all, the first one that messed me up was Arkansas leaving the Southwest Conference, and then Texas A&M. 
And then uh, Nebraska and Colorado, that was the worst move. Nebraska and Colorado. Think about this. When the, you talk about rivalries in football, one of the biggest rivalries in all of football was Oklahoma and Nebraska. They broke that up. I mean, you break up Texas, Texas A&M. And I think those things are important. I mean, if you're going to hang your hat on tradition, and maybe that's gone out of the window now. Maybe tradition means nothing. I mean, we've seen it with the bowl games. used to be J1, January 1st, all football was over. And now, obviously, you have the playoff games. The bowl games are sort of insignificant unless you get that payday from television. But how many bowl games do you watch a year? Honestly. And so with this, there's no real bragging rights. It's not a whole lot of fun. It's just big business. And I don't know that this is good long term for football. But again, I'm not I'm an older guy. So I maybe my opinion on this isn't important. Give me your take on that, because I'm really upset about that. Eight three two nine four one six six one four. And now you all you'll have a situation where these can, conferences continue to grow. SEC and the Big Ten. And it looks like they're moving towards only having two conferences. So as a guy that loves Southwest Conference schools and U of H and all of that, it seems like every time they make a step in the right direction, the game changes underneath them. So they'll go to a Power 5 conference, but it looks like ultimately there'll be a Power 2 conference. I don't know. It's a lot of moving parts, and it's not a lot of fun because it's not about the student athletes anymore. It's not about tradition. It's all about money. So let's get into our conversation with Terrence Harris from the Defender Network. He always has something controversial to say. Give me your take on what he says, because he always, he's not scared. He's going to put it out there, and he's going to say it like he means it, means it like he uh, feels it or whatever. So uh, here's our conversation with Terrence Harris. King T is back again for the new topic. Back to the special team unit, our guy, King T. How are you this week? How are you? Hey, haven't talked to you in a while. Man, yeah, it's been a little minute. I'm, I'm doing all right, man. Just trying to make it through the summer and all this heat. Yeah, you don't get too many these days in Akron right? or in uh, Cleveland. Man, right? just say it right now. Come on now. Don't go, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hang up this phone on you, bro. Well, you know, I, I guess. You, you just insulted me. LeBron is from Akron. So He's from Akron. I'm from Cleveland. I'm from the big city. That's right. Shaker Heights. I, I Shake. won't forget. Yeah, I don't yeah. forget. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, so you don't get too many these days, right? No, not really. I mean, I was home. It was so funny. I was home a couple of weeks ago in Cleveland, hanging out with some family over at this uh, at this racetrack. It was ninety degrees outside. Everybody was tripping, and I was like, "This is a breeze." <laughs> yeah, you got acclimated. So. Yeah, I was like, "This is a breeze. This is nothing compared to what we're dealing with down in Houston." Just think about this. It's only going to get worse in August. August is like the worst month of the year. Oh, man, don't tell me that. <laughs> so let's hope that it's reversed. That, that June and July were the worst, and August is going to be great. Yeah, maybe we can get some rain. But a lot going on in the world of sports since we uh, talked to you last. But I know you're a Clevelander, so let's start with Baker Mayfield being traded. My thought is, before I get your comments on this, and you can tell me what you think. Do you think, from a talent standpoint, have we been too hard on Baker Mayfield? I definitely think so. I mean, no quarterback, no, especially no number one overall pick, has ever had to endure what this guy endured in his little four years in Cleveland. I mean, you know, he had a different offensive plan pretty much every year. The last year, last year was it was the first time in his career he actually had some consistency in terms of play calling. Who's the play caller? Who's your head coach? 
I mean, this guy went through so much turnover and turmoil during his, his first few seasons. How do you expect this guy to really have any footing? I mean, but I think, you know, Baker showed us a lot to his rookie season and also in his third season. I mean, so this guy, I believe, you know, I believe that he had his better years are still ahead of him. So let's talk about what the Cleveland Browns got in return. First of all, they're paying $10.5 million of his contract, and they only get a, a fourth and a conditional fifth or, or vice versa. Uh, what do you think about what you got for him, who, again, was a top pick for Cleveland? They might as well have cut him. I mean, it felt like to me for what you ended up getting. But what cuts a little bit deeper is this. The Browns could have gotten a third-round pick on draft night for Baker had they been willing to pay the $10.5 million or whatever, 10.2 or whatever they agreed to pay yesterday. If they had agreed to pay that on draft night, they would have gotten a third-round draft pick for this kid. You messed up by holding out because it didn't get better for the Browns. Do you think there would have been a way that Cleveland could have both brought in Deshaun and not alienated Baker the way they did? Or was there no way around that? There's no way around that. I mean, no, come on. This dude was the first overall pick. No way in the world was he ever going to sit there and was he ever supposed to go, you know, sit there and be cool with being shoved to the background, and especially with all that he had endured in that city in terms of the constant turnover of coaches, I mean, and all he, the, the offensive plans and how they continue to change. There's just such an revolving door around the people who were supposed to make sure that his transition from college to the pro level was supposed to be smooth. I mean, and so this kid had dealt with a lot. So, no, I mean, he has an ego. He believes in himself. So he, he's not ready to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to be relegated to to the background, and not to mention, Baker wants to be paid. You got Deshaun coming in with a $230 million contract. Yeah, I mean, it, there was never going to be any discussion or thought about him hanging on or hanging around for another year or two. It was a wrap, man. I mean, it was time to move on. So what is your gut feeling about how many games Deshaun will be suspended? You, just your feel, sort of reading the room, what do you think it's going to be? I think it could be anywhere from zero games to eight games. So when you say zero, I want you to unpack that one because I don't think that I've heard anyone say he's not getting any games. Well, here's the deal. I mean, the NFLPA and his representatives are fighting hard, and I think they have a little bit of a leg to stand on on a couple issues here. I mean, you know, A, some of the most damning things that we think maybe or some people think that maybe Deshaun did, from my understanding, weren't even on the table in this in these proceedings so some of those damaging things that have, that have been said have been out there weren't even presented from from my understanding so you're dealing with that number one number two the nflpa has on their side you got precedent here i mean you got owners who've misbehaved and done things you know that they have not been punished for and they all the, the players the coaches and the ownership are all under the same code of conduct policy. And so, you know, when I think you, theoretically you're right about that. But realistically, do you, have we seen we, that's all? But, but see, in the court of law, which, which or, this is, it still is in the court of law. It is about it is about theoretically. It's not about, you know, and so hopefully this, you know, in, in, the, in the court of public opinion as well. You hope you know, they will see their errors, the error of their ways by, you know, if you turn your head on a couple of these, you know, these owners and some of the, their transgressions. Why are you going to throw the hammer down on this guy, throw the book at the player? So you got that going. Secondly, I mean, the other thing that you, you also have going kind of maybe in Deshaun's favor 
I mean, let's, let's just keep it real. I mean, you know, when you look at, like, everybody likes to talk about 24. I mean, I've heard the ridiculous 60 number that, that I still doubt. But let's just say, okay, everybody's harping on this 24, these 24 massage therapists, right? No. Well, the NFL is not looking at 24. They're looking at five. Based they, on what? They interviewed five people, five of the massage therapists. That's it. So it's not 24. It's not 12. It's five. And then when you throw in the fact that they, apparently they didn't take up some of the most, like I said, some of the most damaging or seemingly damaging allegations out there, that those things were never brought to the table in these hearings. You know, you, you're wondering, like, well, so what are they basing, what are they going to base this punishment on? That's how you, you know, you see, you look at the, the year-long deal and you're like, hmm. Then, you know, there, there's also this discussion out there of possibly having Deshaun, he sat out essentially a year last year. I think now it's becoming more apparent that it wasn't just a one-way street. You know, the, maybe the Texans didn't want him on the field either. So, you know, maybe now it's, what you do is say, okay, we'll give back the money and, you you know, you're going to get some games served. That would be very interesting. I just I think that the court of public opinion, especially because Goodell just got through being grilled about Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders organization in front of Congress, and he got roughed up pretty good in that. So I wonder if that incentivizes them to take this as serious as they can. Roger Goodell is not making the decision on Deshaun Watson's punishment, as we all now know. I mean, yeah, it's Sue L. Robinson, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, so it's not, this is not about Roger Goodell. But he can and, amend the punishment, right? Under the CBA, he can't, whatever her decision he, is, he, he can amend he, that decision, right? He can appeal it. He can okay. appeal it, and so can Deshaun. Okay. So there's a thought process here that maybe they'll they'll come to, you know, some type of agreement, some, some type of middle ground. Uh, it won't be a year. It probably won't be zero games, but it'll be somewhere in the middle. But you got one extreme asking for no games. You got the other the other side asking for it. I mean, they, they want an indefinite to a year. But I think it's kind of one of those things where everything is meant to be negotiated. So you throw out the high number, and then you throw out the low number, and then hopefully what happens is these people meet somewhere in the middle. But there seems to be a, a growing belief that Deshaun will play at some point in 2022. So, and I do kind of want to ask you about where that leaves the team with Jacoby Brissett being the starter. What, what do you feel? I mean, can he hold it down for eight games, a year? What do you think? How good can this team be if Jacoby Brissett is the quarterback this season? I think it has a lot to do with how the game is managed, how the game is called. Uh, the, the Browns do have a hell of a running game. Yes, indeed. That, that they can, you know, that they can rely on. That they, you know, they've they've added some receiving pieces uh, that can also help them as well. They do have one of the best offensive lines in the game. The defense is emerging, so it's just about how you manage the play calling and all those other things and manage percent. You got to know, as I, and I always say this to coaches all the time, and then watching football. You have to know and really understand your quarterback's strengths and his weaknesses. You got to remember, Brissett, he played pretty well under Belichick. At time, he had his moments with the Colts. So here's a guy who I think is a, is a serviceable, back, serviceable backup. And so, I mean, you know, you want him in, in reality, are you expecting him to go 6 and 0 or 8 and 0? No. But if he can, if he can somehow string together, like three or four wins during his during that window of time, 
and, and still have us in position where, you know, you can come out and Deshaun has time to get his stuff, get his act together because as we all know too, you know, he'll be coming in in midseason and he probably won't be at midseason for him. So he has to wrap up as well. So I think, you know, you've got to give him some breathing room. So I think if, if Jacoby Brissett can, you know, be a part of three or four wins, you know, while Deshaun Watson is, is, is serving whatever penalty he's, he's going to serve, I think um, all of a sudden, you know, you, you have a chance. That's, I think that's, that's the best-case scenario. But let's just say, it, you know, I think the Browns are in this for the long term. They're not in, they're not in this for next season or this upcoming season. Keep, them, keep that in mind, too. So if things don't go as they perfectly have planned this year, I think everybody kind of went into this with their eyes wide open. I don't believe the Browns signed uh, Deshaun thinking that he wouldn't serve any type of penalty at all. That's why he's only making a million dollars this year. Everybody knew kind of what this was, man. The Browns aren't making plans. They're not booking trips or booking rooms for the, for the Super Bowl, you know, for the upcoming January or February. So that's not really what's on the table at all. I mean, you just want to get it going. I don't want to shift gears here and ask you, of course, you are from Big Ten country. What do you think about the changing landscape of football and really all collegiate sports with USC and UCLA heading to the Big Ten? Man, I think this is this is really bad for, for the student-athlete. This might be great for the fans. This might be good for the coaches. This, I mean, certainly this is going to be great for the conferences and the schools because this is going to open it up where, you know, we're talking about if the TV contracts fall the way that they expect them to, each school could be taking away $100 million a year from these contracts. That's ridiculous. And still these schools are not paying athletes. They're allowing the NIL deals, but they're not paying anything yeah to the and, and, and so and i think people lose sight of that that these guys are able to go out and make money but still no money's coming out of the university's coffers to pay these guys and i still don't think that that's fair either right and that's why i think one of the things and that's why i've said that, you know these 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 players it's nice that you know you you're getting the, i mean you know you're getting a little allowance type money with this nil stuff but you're not really sitting at the table for the big stuff and what these players and what these student athletes really should be demanding is a seat at the table because they are the ones, it's their necks, it's their butts that are going to be on the line on this. Not these coaches because they don't make so much money. They don't get another job ever. You know, they're fine. They're set financially. Schools, I mean, you know, making $100 million a year, they're set. But these kids, I mean, are having to pay, I mean, their bodies and the wear and tear and their, you know, and, and the, the effects that this could have on their studies and everything else, I mean, just tells you that they're the ones who are going to pay the steepest price for these decisions. I mean, you know, you're talking about a bunch of schools that are on Eastern time zone who are used to playing at 11 a.m. on Saturdays, you know, for, for football. And now you may have to play at 7 p.m. Pacific time, which is... Well, at least, what, what 7, 7 p.m. Eastern? Yeah, yeah. 9, 10 o'clock your time at night. Yeah. That's not optimal for these kids. I mean, so I just feel like these kids need to be definitely compensated in some way, and they, they need to have a seat at the table and be heard, their concerns, and, and then there needs to be a way to carve this up to make sure that everybody eats, not just these big-time universities and, and all of the layers that they pile on that have nothing to do with, with these kids. I mean, I mean, so 
it's time to really have a different type of conversation. Yeah, and then behind the eight ball because you only get you know a few years of eligibility, and it takes a while for all these things to wind through the court. We saw them try to unionize before that failed. It's going to be tough for the players to gain any more leverage. But let's go back to this. And, and you and I are older, so it's kind of like older guys talking about this. But to me, what made college football special were the regional rivalries, knowing that Texas and Texas A&M are playing, or even Baylor in Texas, or Texas and U of H, there's a, a rivalry there that's sustained by, by the fact that you're in such close proximity. Like, what is a game between, like, what is anybody's interest in having UCLA play Rutgers, or Michigan State play USC, or Indiana play USC? Is that really benefiting, like, the general public? I, I just, I don't, I think they are overstating the fact that these are going to be interesting games because of course you got a couple of marquee games you got michigan versus usc you have a usc versus ohio state you have a couple of those games but the majority of your games are like purdue illinois indiana so you know so what's your take on that well i mean you know i I just go back to i mean like i want to go back to your point about this is going to take a while to cycle through you gotta, you gotta step up at some point. And at the end of the day, these student athletes, they have a huge say. I mean, and I think we gotta quit telling them that they don't, and trying to convince them that they don't. don't so who up. is the don't kid? Yeah. I mean, you, you, but you what kid that. is gonna do that though? How many kids I mean, they, do you they, think they, are gonna? At do some that? point, they gotta wake up though. It's, you gotta stand for something or fall for every damn thing. So at some point, you gotta say, hey, no, enough is enough. I, I and so agree if with I you. I can't make it better for myself. I'm going to make it better for the next guy coming behind me. And so I think it's time for them to take a look at that. As far as these regional rivalries and all this other stuff, I just don't even think that that's really that important anymore. I mean, I think that that used to be that. I mean, you know, but I think I think rivalries will, will be made. New rivalries will be made. The old rivalries will, will be maintained. Also hearing that, you know, one of the reasons why maybe they didn't invite maybe Oregon the Big Ten didn't invite Oregon is because they're really hoping that Notre Dame jumps in with them as well. I think what we thought about rivalries and all those other things, I have to reimagine. It's the same thing with the SEC, and, and, and this is really not that much different from what's going on in the SEC now. I mean, Texas and, and Oklahoma. Well, the only di- the only difference between that is obviously you get to renew the rivalry between Texas and Texas A&M. And, of course, you have Texas LSU, Texas Alabama, like two of the blue bloods that will be playing they, each other every season. They've never season, been rivals season. before. So, so I know, but these the are blue bloods. are going to be made. But I, I think, by and large, I can only think of one rivalry since the movements have already taken place because you can start with like A&M. You can start with Colorado leaving. You can start with Missouri leaving the Big 8 or the Big 12 or whatever. And when I think about that, there's only one rivalry, new rivalry that I think has come out of any of those moves. And I think it boils down to Alabama, Texas A&M. And, and that's the only real rivalry, new rivalry that I can, I can think of. What do you think? And, and, and I'm sure – and I'm sure Alabama would tell you that they don't look at Texas A&M as a rival. Well, I mean, except that they beat them two or three times with you know yeah, this past season with Johnny they, Football. Yeah, they don't see them as a rival, though. So if that's the case, there have been no real new rivalries developed out of all of these moves. Uh, but guess what? Those stadiums will still be packed. Television sets are still going to be on. I mean, no matter what, they're going to get paid. I mean, so, you know, it's, I don't think that that is that big of an issue. I think people are still going to watch because people love college football. 
So what do you think about this two super conferences that would maybe go up to 50 teams in basically two conferences and you'll have the have and have nots and sort of it'll be like the, the Premier League in soccer. What do you think about these super leagues where these, it seems like we're moving in that direction? Yeah, I mean, TV money has uh, has brought us to that point. We've heard about this for years now, the idea of a super a super 64. And those are going to be the elite of the elite college football programs. And, and that, you know, college basketball will, will, will not matter that much in the scheme of things. This is really all football driven. And this is that that football TV money that's driving this train. And, and that's all anybody seems to really care about. I mean, is the money that's, that's going to be gleaned from that. And, and, you know, in a lot of these universities, uh, these athletic departments, they're bleeding red. So, I mean, like I, I read somewhere where UCLA, for instance, one of the reasons they need this, they got to do this, is because they're over $100 million in the deficit in the sports department. They were at a point where they were about to have to start looking at cutting sports. You're getting to that point, you know, so, so they had no choice, no choice whatsoever. I mean, we're going to get to this point where they're ready to stop sharing so much of the pie. But what I'm just curious about is why don't people start thinking about maybe it's time to cut out soccer. Maybe it's time to cut out volleyball. You know, all of these sports that don't pay the bills, they don't sustain themselves. College baseball, college softball, you know, they're, they're all riding on the backs of college football. Well, I think so that why goes why against... Why don't we start to have that conversation? Because I think it's important to have it and see if, hey, I mean, is it still fair to ask the football programs to carry the entire athletic department at these schools? Because that's really what we're all... That's what this is all about. Okay, well, so I if, mean, if you want to go all the way back to the origins of why you even have collegiate athletics in the beginning, if you just want to say... Because obviously money can be the answer to everything, but if you are truly there for for your students and your student-athletes to provide a form for them to pursue outside interests other than their academic interests, isn't that... Uh, obligation to provide those sports when you start talking about the idea that the Rutgers or Maryland's gonna have to go across country and play UCLA in a in a conference game on a Saturday you know right right on a Saturday miss me with all that pageantry stuff and all that other craziness well Let's I mean I'm just saying it think is, about that it's no longer it is no longer about all of the, the promoting of this and the promoting of that this is about making money and you and, and if it don't make money, or if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense, as they as, as they say in the hood, you know. Well, and, here's and the I, here's the one thing that, here's the one thing that'll hold all of that up. You're forgetting about Title IX, and that's federal law. That ain't changing. And you have to provide avenues for uh, women to compete. And so, and you have to spend comparable money on different programs, on, on the different number of athletes. And that's why you have some schools that have those sports, gymnastics, and some of those other things. I mean, Title IX is huge in the mix with all of that. They're fine. And then guess what? Keep, keep your softball team, keep your, keep your volleyball team, keep whatever will give you the comparable numbers. And, you know, if, that, if that's what you're saying. But at the same time, I don't know. I think at some point, everybody has to be realistic. It's like, it's like, this whole conversation about the WNBA and and is it fair that that you know players in the off season have to go and play overseas to make money when the NBA players don't? The reality there is this: the WNBA doesn't really make that much money. They they don't draw. I mean, they're, they're doing the lower bowl, and sometimes they're not filling that up. You know that they don't have the same type of TV contract money that the NBA has. So no, your players are not going to make the same amount of money. 
And so it goes back to that same thing. I mean, I mean, at some point, the players have to stand up and say, and these football players have to stand up and say, enough is enough. You know, get off our backs. Well, like I said, there's a lot of discussion to be had about a lot of different things. I'm generally not – I don't really like a lot of the things that are going on. But then again, I'm I'm old school, so I'm not the demographic they're trying to appeal to in, anyway. But that'd be, you, know, you got money. <laughs> you got money. You, they want your money. I mean, they ain't trying to talk to these young folks. They ain't got no money. They ain't, they ain't donate money. Yeah. It's us. They want us. They're, they're appealing to us. Yeah. What have you been writing about these days? What's on your mind? What's been uh, some of the other things that stood out that you just wanted to chime in on? Well, I mean, I guess the big thing right now, and it, and it came down the pipe today, is, is is you know we've been we've been hitting Brittany Griner pretty hard because I mean you know this this has been tough to to see, and today you know to, for it to come out that you know she ended up pleading guilty to the drug charges, and so we don't really know. Where that leaves her, I mean, at this point, I mean, but it sounds like she really probably didn't have much of a choice. And so, you know, we, we've been dealing with that because Brittany's a hometown, you know, young lady. And I think, you know, this city cares about her. And the defender certainly has, has tried to step up in big ways to make sure that, you know, pe- people don't forget about her. And so, um, you know, that's, that's been a big part of our effort. I mean, we've, we've obviously taken a look at what's going on with Deshaun quite a bit. I mean, you know, the Rockets are, are doing some very interesting things. I think we're really kind of seeing, you know, um, Raphael Stone's vision. Uh, you know, maybe last year or so, we weren't really sure about it, but I think it's becoming a lot more clear. And I think, you know, he's putting together a very young and exciting basketball team. And so, you know, we, you know, we're looking at that, you know, real strongly as well. I mean, they're headed out to summer league. We're doing stories on that. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're just trying to stay on top of everything, the Astros and, and how well man, they're playing the right Astros. now. Love the Astros. Yeah, man. So, you know, we're, we're just trying to stay on top of everything. How can folks reach you on social media? Uh, come on, check me out on Twitter, Terrence Harris. Uh, you know, holler at me. For, definitely, definitely friend me or whatever you call that. You know, uh, follow me because I need followers. I need followers. I need conversation. Right. I know you like to, to go back and forth. I see some of the stuff you post on your different uh, platforms. It's always interesting. I appreciate you saying that, sir. Hey, man, well, we look forward to seeing you soon, talking to you soon. And, and pretty soon training camp will be going on. So we'll be oh, talking man, about right around that. the corner. I'm telling you, this, this is going too fast. Yeah, man, it, it is. So we look forward to it. Man, thanks again for hanging out. Hey, thanks for having me. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. want to thank Terrence, as always, for joining us. Well, you know what time it is now. It's time for the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports we deem to be the big dummy or dummies of the episode. Now, look, I understand the word fan is short for fanatic, but there's fanatic and then there's super fanatic and then there's ridiculous. And this is about all of the people who are ignoring a tremendous, an incredible baseball season. Now, you say, well, what, what, what are you talking about? Okay, so this week, Chet Holmgren made his debut in the NBA Summer League. And they started talking about, apparently he had a great game. I didn't see it, didn't watch Summer League. Tried to peek in on the Rockets Summer League game last night. Missed it because 
they had the NHL draft on and it was on some alternate channel. I didn't realize that and I sort of missed it. So I didn't get a chance to see the NBA Summer League. So I missed something. Oh my gosh. But I missed Chet Holmgren. And they started talking about, whoa, this is the dude. Now he moved up in the rankings for the Rookie of the Year, uh, sort of the odds to win Rookie of the Year. They talked about him having a record six block shots, a record in Summer League. In Summer League, you guys, some of y'all are ridiculous. We are not going to sit here and do this. We're not going to sit here and keep historical statistical data on NBA Summer League. Half the dudes, if not 80% of those dudes, won't be in the NBA. And if they do, they won't be in the NBA for three or four years. These are guys trying to keep their dream alive, and they try to fill out the roster, and they give guys a chance. Some guys will break through, and they'll create an opportunity for themselves in the NBA. Most won't. They'll be playing overseas, which is cool. They'll be doing their thing wherever. They won't impact the NBA. So if a guy gets off in a summer league game, it means almost nothing for his prospects as a successful player in the NBA. And because you guys are paying more attention to this than baseball, what the Astros doing what they're doing, what the Yankees doing what they're doing, the Mets, the Twins, the Dodgers, I mean, you are ignoring all of this to talk about a record in the summer league? Are you kidding me? Any of you guys that are doing that are big dummies. You big dummy. <laughs> What's next, guys? What, what, are we, what are we doing? What are we really doing here? And what are we, where are we going next? We're going to start going to Fondy and keeping score, which Fondy was a tremendous historical place for pickup basketball. Are we going to go to Rucker Park and start keeping stats? Are we going to go, I mean, are we going to go to somebody's uh, L.A. fitness and keep stats? Are we doing this? Are we really doing this? Are we really changing our opinion about somebody's future in the NBA based off of one NBA summer league game? Let's not do that. Just no need to do that. Watch some baseball or Wimbledon. A Formula One. Something. I mean, you can watch Summer League basketball. Just let's not take it so, so serious. So, with that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go, want to wish my brother Jordan Wade a very happy birthday. Today is his birthday. Happy, happy birthday, Biscuit. Enjoy your birthday. In addition to that, want to thank uh, Brian Smith, head coach of Purview NM Basketball. Want to thank Terrence Harris from the Defender Network. Want to thank you guys for tuning in. Want to thank our sponsors, Cobank Homes and Brighter Brains, DJ Anarchy. Want to remind you guys, give us a call 24 hours a day on the sports line, 832-941-6614, 832-941-6614. Also, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group on Facebook at Wade's Word on Twitter. An announcement on a remote next episode. But until next time, if you can't remember any of those things, remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. <laughs> this has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening. <laughs>